Andy, how did this search end with Carlos Mendoza? Well, the Mets obviously had narrowed it to Mendoza and Council by the weekend, Sal, as you know, and really they were enthusiastic about Mendoza since he came in the building and interviewed uh, last week. Uh, he, he did a good job. They liked him. Obviously, Council, with his experience and with his reputation, was seen by many clubs as a top candidate. Uh, but I don't think this is as simple as the Mets got their plan B or their second choice because they're legitimately excited about Mendoza. And I can tell you, I'm around because I happen to be at the GM meetings. I'm circulating around Yankee executives all day, and they are not only so happy for Mendoza, but so bummed to lose him. Like, oh, God, we're going to miss this guy. We're going to really have to find someone good to replace him. So uh, he impressed uh, the Mets as he'd impressed the Giants before, the Indian, excuse me, the Guardians, uh, with whom he was a finalist before they gave the job to Stephen Vogt. Uh, so it was just a matter of interviewing well, going through the process, having that reputation, and really having that old-school experience of coming up through the coaching ranks, player development, minor leagues. This is how managers used to be uh, developed before it became trendier to go outside the box with different ways to hire people. But this is how your Jim, I'm not comparing Mendoza to these managers. He hasn't managed a game yet. But this is how your Jim Leland's, your Terry Collins, your Tony LaRusses. I mean, that's how these careers start, is through that minor league pipeline. So I think all those qualifications, and to David Stern's credit, this was not that so-called analytics hire that people just getting to know Stern's in this market might expect him to make, but really kind of more of an old school guy. Hi, Brian. What made Mendoza such a highly sought-after candidate? Yeah, well, Andy touched on it there. I mean, I think one of his greatest strengths is his ability to communicate, to connect with players. He's diligent. He's prepared. I can tell you nobody's going to outwork him. Uh, talking in that Yankee clubhouse, that Yankee front office, you're not going to find anybody with a bad word to say about Carlos Mendoza. So he's an incredibly personable guy. He's approachable. Clearly, he interviewed well with uh numerous teams there but I, I think that his his biggest strength there is that he'll communicate and he's not afraid to get in a guy's face if it needs to happen so uh for here on the yankee bench he was a really trusted lieutenant to aaron boone where if a guy's not running out of fly ball or a ground ball or whatever it be if there was a situation where a message needed to be sent Carlos was not afraid to be that guy. So, uh, yeah, he's come up through the ranks. He is a more traditional choice than some of these newer managers you've seen here, uh, has managed in the low minors and now has uh, paid his dues. And talking to people around the game, they had said for years, Carlos Mendoza is going to be a big league manager, and now he's getting his chance right here in New York City. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Wednesday, November the 8th, 2023. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can get me on Instagram. Talking Mets No G, and uh, check out the latest newsletter posting at substack.com slash at Talking Mets No G. And of course, I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network as well as risingapple.com. Well, 
as I said during the reaction video a couple of days ago, welcome into the show, by the way, Bill Madden must actually know something. So he sends out, while we're on the air on Sunday, he sends out this cryptic tweet saying that, you know, Craig Council never wanted New York and he always wanted the money. And everybody's like, oh, 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 oh. I was, and I was like, oh, Bill, you know, and Bill, Bill's been on the program long, connected, uh, Daily News writer, really connected to Steinbrenner, wrote a couple books, book on Tom Seaver's been on the show, book on George Steinbrenner. And it turns out, as I said on the reaction video, maybe he knew a thing or two about a thing or two. Now, I got to tell you, I had a ton of fun putting together that five or six minute video. I don't know how long it was doing the reaction the other day to Craig Council. And I'll tell you what, after marinating on everything for 24 to 48 hours, which is what we've always done here at the Talking Mets podcast, it really uh, shows you how important it is to sit back and take a deep breath, see what things have transpired, read different points of view, and then come and do the program. Now, adding an instant reaction to what we do here is not a bad thing because I'm prefacing it by saying, hey, this is just me in a moment taking incomplete information and telling you how I feel. And I got to tell you, I want to do more of that, maybe a little bit more measured in different topics. But I was able to come to you, come to you quick, do the video. So, you know, you guys know the uh, the address. Talking Mets No G is the handle on Substack. But it's substack.com slash at Talking Mets No G. It's the beyond the mic. This is beyond the mic. It's beyond everything else that we do here. And, you know, on, what was it, Monday when I heard the news about Council going to the Cubs, obviously I was shocked. Obviously, I, you know, was like, well, this is crazy. And I said this on Sunday. I mean, I've never seen a manager take their free agency and shop themselves around the team that they're managing currently, wanting them back. It was like a player. I mean, Council took the page out of every player that he's either played with that was a free agent and a big-time free agent or currently plays for him. He's arguably at the top of his craft. He's the best manager in baseball. So he did what basically Aaron Judge did. And then you have the mystery team. I mean, so think about it. You had everything, everything that a free agency with a player would have. And, you know, the first thing I thought of was, boy, is Steve Cohen losing his magic? And clearly, and I knew this was coming because I saw it with, I think it was John Harper over at SNY saying that this is a big loss. Stearns is 0 for 1. John Heyman goes on to say the Mets made a poor decision with Mendoza. There was so much better options. Throws out David Wright out there. I mean, guys... Every time some popular player retires, it happened with Mattingly before Mattingly became a manager. Uh, you know, David Wright or guys like that, you know, everybody wants them to be managers. Just because you're a great player doesn't mean you're a great manager. That's Ryan Sandberg, who, who quit midway in the season for the Philadelphia Phillies, but that's not what today's about. So, you know, I saw all the anger, I saw all the frustration, and, you know, clearly because the last three years have been rocky, to say the least, for Steve Cohen since he took over as owner of the Mets, between the GM hirings and firings, missing out on some free agents, you know, still going out and being able to fish at the top of the market, and then what happened last year as the team fell apart, and there was the fire sale, then Billy Epler, whatever. I can understand the frustration, but what a lot of people have to understand, I'm just coming to you direct here. And I'm not going to lecture you. I'm not going to get angry because I know some people wanted me to do that on X. You really have to understand. And I think this SI article 
And I believe it was Tom Verducci that wrote the piece, the SI article that broke down how this all transpired for Craig Council. Talked about two really important topics. One, there's nothing you can do about it. It's the environment. But two is self-inflicted. One, New York's not for everybody. Here's a guy, and I said this, go back, and I was becoming cautiously optimistic because the fact that he had not re-signed with Milwaukee, never saw the Chicago scenario. At Cleveland, eh, I was like, you know, if you're not going to be happy with the setup in Milwaukee, why would you go to Cleveland? It's the same kind of financial setup, unless you want to change the chairs around. A guy who's from Wisconsin, you know, grew up there, has a family there, has roots there, and would be in the scenario of coming to the Mets, uprooting his family and his life and his personal comfort to come to a very tough situation, a completely different media market, a completely different culture and lifestyle. For him to do that, he has to really want to be here. Now, clearly money is a motivating factor. And then I said, well, money's a motivating factor, but what's the delta? What's the difference? Maybe if the Cubs are not in the scenario... Maybe it's a little bit different. But once the Cubs, who are less than 100 miles away, provide equal Midwestern scenario with a little bit of big city. Let's remember, Chicago is not New York, but it ain't exactly small town Milwaukee. And everybody who was around him said, well, this has been his dream job. And let's face it, historical franchise, great ballpark, aspects of the big city in terms of spending and fan support, but not really the New York big city BS Maybe that's changing. Maybe that'll be much different now that he's the highest paid manager in the history of baseball. But once you put that in front, and unless what what was Cohen going to go, 10, 11 million a year? You're going to start to pay a manager like a you know pseudo closer or a uh, high-end middle reliever, or now you're getting into uh, low-end starting pitching territory or you know component positional player territory. I'm confused. The manager doesn't matter. We've been told that for two decades since Moneyball. Why are we doing that? Well, that might be changing. Now, the more important part of the SI article, and it's out there, just Google Verducci Sports Illustrated. I I think it's Verducci. I can't remember who wrote it. Is that the Mets are becoming a graveyard for those who get into the managerial position because everybody looks at history. Yeah, you have Bobby V. Yeah, you have Terry Collins. Yeah, you have Davey Johnson. And that spans three decades. But in between and sandwiched in between all those names, you've got Bud Harrelson. Destroyed Bud Harrelson. I'm going to go back in the archive at some point this offseason. I had a conversation with Buddy back in 2008 about his experience managing. And and Buddy was, that was, he was far removed. He was almost two decades removed from the experience, but he still had strong opinions. Jeff Torborg. I mean, even the the late Dallas Green had a tough time here. Art Howe. Willie Randolph had swallowed up. Jerry Manuel. Mickey Calloway and Louis Rojas were the most recent uh, versions. Even on the GM side, look, a guy like Steve Phillips, now he had other issues. He never got a chance again. Torborg claimed he was blackballed for years before he got the chance in Miami. I mean, think about it. Calloway's probably never going to manage again. I don't know if Louis Rojas will ever manage again. I mean, once you go there and you fail and you get put through the, the ringer, it's really hard to come back from that. Now, Davey came back, but Davey was a different situation, and he had a much different resume, and he was successful. I mean, he just 
it got stale. It ran out. And Bobby V, look, say what you want on the way out. He had trouble getting a job. Now, maybe some of that's Bobby. Had to go to Japan. Did get a job with the Red Sox later on. And, uh, you know, that was his nail in the coffin. And Terry, I don't think Terry wanted him at it. Maybe he did. But at some point, at his age, and I mean, you know, he had success. But, I mean, come on. You know, at some point, you know, the game was changing at that point. So he might be a little bit of a different scenario. So Council looks at it. He's still a relatively young guy. And he takes a three- or four-year deal from the Mets. Maybe he takes it at, you know, five million bucks a year. Makes half the salary he's making in Chicago. Goes there and it turns into a disaster. He's never going to manage again. His baseball career is over in his mid-50s. You guys like Buck and Dusty Baker and Bruce Boche, they're, they're, they're hugging 70 or, at, or past that. He wants, to, he wants to manage a long time. He likes the gig. He doesn't want to be scarred. So that proves to you there's a yoke here. There's a stigma here. This is a tough job. So you've got the richest owner in the sport who now is building, I saw the blueprints, this beautiful, it looks like, this beautiful surrounding entertainment park. Got this great ballpark. He's not going to skimp on the roster. And you're asking yourself, well, Mike, how is it possible that, that this is a bad place to be? I understand that. But you're looking at that from a New York perspective. You come here and you got the media scrum. You've got the childish reactions that you saw the other day when Council went to Chicago. Yes, frustration and fandom, which is part of, unfortunately, a lot of these radio pundits. But, you know, even a guy like John Heyman, who I like. I mean, clearly John's article, which listed all these, you know, David Wright is a possible better manager than Mendoza. His editor said, hey, John, I need you to write a piece against this. I mean, that's that's the business. But at some point, that's the problem with the business. Instead of being measured and, and providing something different, you know, you're going out there and doing first take on ESPN. And it's all the second guess, first guess, third guess, you know, the the gotcha. You know, you don't think that the league saw what happened with Mickey Kelly. Mickey Kelly did a lot of bad stuff off the field, and he did his had made his own bed. But they spent the better part, at that point, the group of beat reporters that were there, they spent the better part of his second year, the first half of the season, just finding ways to play gotcha with the guy until he blew up. You know, you see what transpired in Jeff Torborg. I mean, a lot of ways, you know, Craig Council was coming here, you know, had a better resume than a Torborg. But Torborg came here, he was a hot commodity. He was considered a hot shot, had a lot of success in the Midwest in Chicago, overachieved with the White Sox, came here, and it was a disaster. Now, he was a fraud, and his style was probably going to blow up no matter where he went, you know, with his sophomoric college amateurish, you know, lack of people skills and lack of toughness uh, would probably go bad. And he probably was only built for a really young team. But regardless, it happened. And people looked at it and said, wow, this went bad. So you start to look at the history. Look at the history of managers in, in Mets land. It's not much different than when Joe Torre took over the Yankees in the mid-90s. I mean, that was what the Yankees were at that point, a managerial graveyard. You went there, and you never made it out. It's a black hole. Will that change? Well, Carlos Mendoza is going to get the opportunity to change it. Uh, and I don't think Steve Cohen is impulsive or, or unreasonable. I think it goes to the job is tough. 
The situation is tough. They haven't won in a long time. Joel Sherman's already writing about how the Mets have the eighth longest drought now. The, the, the Rangers won the World Series. The Texas now has the Dallas. It's really Dallas. Uh, has a champion. And that's going to become a theme. 1940 Rangers. That's going to become a theme. No, look across town at the Knicks. How how I mean, Thibodeau's still never secure, but look at what the Knicks have gone through for two decades. This is after a period of prosperity. And yeah, you had the Riley. Riley left. It was for other reasons, you know, Van Gundy and what went on there. But you know, from nineteen, you know, even then with with coaches with Patino and Stu Jackson, there was a lot of turnover. You know, Tom Coughlin came to the Giants and stabilized the situation a little bit. And did what he had to do. Look at the Jets and what's going on with them. This is a tough, tough, tough place to to coach, to manage, to play. And it's only getting tougher. I mean, you got me here in the early morning of a, of a Wednesday opining and has a decent following about these topics. It's not just one, two, three reporters that could sit down and be balanced and say, you know what? Craig's the hometown guy. Here are the issues he's facing. Here's uh, his point of view. I mean, look at... Brian Cashman, who has been given a pass for years, they have openly helped him market his position. I firmly believe, whether it be him or somebody in his cabinet, they have part and parcel used the media as a way to market prospects to go out and make deals that are wildly in their favor when it comes to giving out prospects. He has had every benefit of the doubt. Andy Martino's writing a book about him, an ode to Brian Cashman's three-plus decades tenure. First time in the last few months, because they had their worst season since the early 90s, that he's gotten some criticism. He blows up. Now, some of it is legit. I saw his interaction about Volpe, and I don't know who the reporter was, and about development, because sometimes, you know, he's sitting there and saying, you know, these guys don't know what they're talking about, because a lot of times they don't. They don't do good research. They also, they spend time now on, on Twitter, X, whatever, and they start to parrot the fan BS, and all these people don't really understand managing or player development. And it's your right, and that's what makes the sport popular and fun, to go out there and, and talk about it and provide, a, provide an opinion. But the gaslighting and the, the amping up of the fan base that's so easy to do is, is a problem. And I saw it when I did the reaction video. And I thought I was pretty measured in my reaction video. But I could have went in there and said, look, this is proof that Steve Cohen's lost his magic. He can't close deals. He can't sell what happened with Scherzer? What happened with Verlander? With the two out of three bad seasons? It's over. I could have done that. And there's part of you that that's your reaction. But that's not rational. You have to couch it. You have to be a pro. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So, the message is New York ain't for everybody. And I'm done lecturing you guys and trying to do my part to make things better. Do I think things can get better? Do I think fans can be, be you know, a piece of the fan base? Can become more balanced and rational. I hope in my small, small, small way, because I'm not a I'm not at all fooled to believe about my reach here. You know, that I helped do some of that. I think 
there are some good riders. I think a guy like Will Salmon brings some balance to the, to the table. A Tim Britton. But you still have, and I like their work, but I think it's clouded by that old school uh, tabloid mentality. Guys like Heyman and Sherman and, you know, whatever other, you know, writer that's that's over there at the New York Post or publication. I mean, even a, you get guys like Greg Joyce and, and Mark Sanchez who write pieces. And then you look at the other part, which is not the writer's fault, how the headlines kind of like jack you up. I mean, there's the other problem. And it's a business. It's no different than putting a sign in the front of the store. 50% off and then you go in. Oh, it's toasters? I didn't want toasters. Um, the headlines that are rope you in. And, they, and a lot of people just make their opinion based on headlines. I mean, it's a tough, tough, tough business. So Craig Council says, why do I want this? Now, the Cubs gave him every reason not to say yes to New York. Arguably better scenario player-wise. Better, different fan base. I mean, the criticism of the Cubs fans has been they're going to show up in the bleachers whether the team's good or bad. And and maybe there's no accountability. Recent title. You go and see how that, that city, after they lost in 2015, and how they got around that team. And instead of ripping them down and, and, and telling them they failed, they, they built them up. And I think helped them a lot break the curse in 2016. So, you know, you start to look at where the Mets are at. And this is the Red Sox. This is the Red Sox circa 2003. This is the New York Rangers circa 1993. It really is. And look, for you guys that were around watching sports in a big-time way when I was just a baby, just an infant in the 70s, and then saw the, the the Rangers going into '94, or you know, lived through some Red Sox Cubs disappointment '69, '75 for the Red Sox '86. You know, all the decent Red Sox teams in the early '90s that couldn't get past Oakland, and then the teams that you know were misbuilt a little bit at the turn of the century with Pedro and Valentin and uh, Garcia Parra. And then, of course, you know what happened with Theo Epstein in 2004. You know, you could see the similarities. Now, it's not hopeless because I'll tell you what, I stand by what I said. I stand by what I said. If it wasn't counsel, the top of the business, you could take every manager that you heard about, Andy Green, um, Kotze, who's got some experience in Oakland, Mendoza, throw a blanket over them or put their names in a hat, pull them out, and I couldn't tell you whether they're going to be good or bad. And I'm not here to tell you why I believe Carlos Mendoza is going to be a really good manager. And I'm not here to tell you why Carlos Mendoza is going to break the schneid and be like a Bobby V, like a Davey Johnson, have a tenure like Terry Collins. Hopefully better than, listen, maybe the length of Collins' uh, tenure, but not the results and not the process that I saw. I mean, what you're really searching for here, what the Mets have only had, when you think about it, once in their history, with Davey Johnson, who grew up with the organization in Tidewater, took over a team, won a championship, and was there for about seven years. That's what the Mets have been missing. Even Bobby V had a very long resume and was flamed out when he came in and managed the Norfolk Tides and then took Dallas Green's job in the, in the late 90s. He, he wasn't considered a hotshot manager anymore. That was Bobby a decade earlier. I mean, Collins was a retread of retreads. You know, maybe Willie Randolph 
but he was a Yankee. And I think Willie Randolph's a cautionary tale because remember, because I was there, I remember it, a lot of fans particularly didn't like Willie early on because he tried to institute the Yankee way, you know, the shaving or the lack of shaving. And he liked to remind everybody what a winner he was and how much he won with the Yankees as a player and a coach. Fans didn't want to hear it. We were the Mets. Now, I think Willie did some nice things. I think Willie's undoing was a show in of itself. We could talk about it for a thousand years. But you don't, I don't know if Mendoza will do that. You know, he's been in the Yankee organization 15 years. I hope not. But that turned the fans off. So it goes back to that. But why am I optimistic? And you'll hear a clip in part two, because I'll get to part two. Part two is going to be fun. Because uh, we're going to get some little inside baseball on someone who, who knew Mendoza when he was a manager in the Yankees minor leagues eons ago. Um, you know, you hear the characteristics. What you hear Brian Cashman say. You heard Brian Hoke, who covers the Yankees, and Andy Martino, who always seems to get a balanced, good piece of journalism when it comes to reporting on Mets happenings, whether you like his opinions or not, or like him personally or not. But I go back, and you're hearing, maybe not in the manner I've talked about for years and years, but you're hearing exactly what a good manager in 2024 is all about. It's obviously managing up, and that starts in the interview process, and working well with their boss, and being part of that front office cabinet. It's managing the clubhouse. It's being the the face to the media. It's managing a bullpen. The lineup card, the decisions about the roster, that ain't their, their, their purvey anymore. It's not. They'll have input when they sit at the table and you talk about whether Brett Beatty's ready for the major leagues or he should be the on the roster or the starting third baseman. Sure, David Stearns and his cabinet are going to take it seriously. But may not be Mendoza's final call. And then Mendoza's going to have to go back and explain it to a Beatty hypothetical situation, not wishing for it. Uh, you know, even the lineup. They're going to put the lineup together. Now, you saw the the example where Tommy Pham, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, where Bucks had to go to him and say, you know, Pham's like, I hit this guy. And Bucks like, well, here's how they played out the simulations on today's game, and this is why you're not in the lineup. I mean, it's crazy stuff. Now, is Stearns more balanced than even a Billy Epler, who I thought would be balanced? Uh, we'll see. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, good. it's his gig. There's no GM now. You know, he said it. He's not hiring a GM. He don't have time. You know, he's basically, we're, you know, basically he's back to on the fly trying to build a team in a front office similar to what Billy Epler was asked to do, similar to what Jared Porter had to do, Zach Scott, Sandy Olsen. I mean, this has been going on now for a long time. Maybe they finally got it right. So when you you know what I've talked about here on this program, about what's important in a manager, when you don't know anything, you have no resume here, like Buck, like Dusty Baker, like Girardi, like Bochy. You have to like the characteristics that have been talked about, about his attention to detail, his discipline. And I think at a, a point, that Martino made, and I never thought about this, is that a lot of managers, Carlos Beltran, for example, who, former player, was retired for a couple of years, was working as an advisor in the Yankees front office, went on an interview and got a job, and was just thrown into the manager position. That's kind of more the modern way it happens, because, yeah, you don't have to go sit on a bus and 
go to Binghamton or Akron or all those little tiny towns and get a backache on these bus rides, these eight-hour bus rides. Yeah, here you go. Here's a here's a dugout job because you're a smart guy and you play the game. Or even if you didn't play the game, you you have a grasp of the financial slash data-driven aspects of the game. You know, Mendoza's not that guy. He played. He worked his way up with various different player development and managerial positions in the Yankee system. He did a lot of the grunt work. Think about how, you know, in the NBA, somebody starts out in the film room, and then one day, Eric Spolstra, Miami Heat coach. Perfect example. Now he's you know, he's coaching a team for over a decade, almost two decades. You know, Mendoza has that path, and, and Martino's correct. Davey Johnson was that guy in the minors, and Jimmy Leland. You know, Bochy at one point, Tito Francona, Dusty Baker. I mean, when these great managers became great, you know, Terry Collins was, I think, even a bullpen coach, if I'm not mistaken, in Pittsburgh before he, you know, before he became a commodity and the Astros hired him, if I'm not mistaken. I'd have to go back and look. That was the path. You know, Buck Showalter was a manager in Oneonta, you know, beating the bushes before he became part of a staff with Billy Martin. I mean, that is the traditional path. And I think maybe the position is evolving and changing, but there has to be some of that sweat equity. And I'm the guy, look, I'm not that guy who says you have to make no money, start at the bottom, and and and, and be tortured with your career path to earn the job. That's, that's a radio BS thing. You know, oh, you got to go and... And sit in the back and, and answer phone calls because you'll never be a radio host. If you're a talented radio host, you're a talented radio host. But what you can do, you don't just get given a mic at a top station day one. You do a podcast. You do some overnights. You go to some hick towns. All due respect to those living in hick towns. Some say in Long Island, I'm living in one. You know, but, um, you know, Mendoza did that. He did that. And, and, and in a little bit, an old friend of mine who has done work for MLB.com and, and minor league baseball and who I used to spend a lot of time back when I ran NYBaseballDigest.com down in Trenton watching uh, Yankee prospects to write for NYBD when the B-Mets came to town, when Binghamton came to town, Jed Weisberger. And some of you who have been following me since those days might remember Jed. But Jed is someone who you know, had a lot of conversations when he was covering the Yankees with Stick Michael and Brian Cashman and, you know, knows Mendoza from when he was down in Lakewood in the lower levels of the Yankee system as a manager. So he he knows he knows uh, this guy a little bit, and he's going to give us some insight. So you'll hear that in just a little bit. So all I could tell you is this. Anybody who sits here, whether it's John Heyman or it's Evan Roberts or it's Mike Silva or it's Joe or Jane Fan on X, and says they know why he's going to be a good or a bad manager, you don't know. What I can tell you, and is it a marketing and propaganda? I don't know why Brian Cashman or anybody uh, would have the need on another organization. Knowing how people like to give their opinion, good or bad, about other teams' affairs, off the record, of course, I don't see why everybody would go out with this kind of praise. I mean, Zach Scott, who was fired from the Mets, is on X talking about how great Mendoza was as a candidate for the Red Sox job before they brought Alex Cora back, uh, back in 2020. I mean, he doesn't have to do that. 
Nobody has to do that. If anything, you know, the Yankees probably want to say, because they want him back because he's an asset. Now, I think, you know, a bench coach leaving is like the end of the Yankees, the death knell. I think there are things he did with preparation and spring training and helping Aaron Boone that they, they probably need to replicate and they probably will miss. So nobody has to go out and say these things. You just have to say, you know, that's effusive praise. The process, think of all the things, you know, player development, knowing analytics, holding players accountable. Look at the guy's photos. Look at his, you know, there's a couple of videos. I think they're in Spanish. And I think being bilingual is going to be big. Uh, guy's a type A personality. He's not a wallflower. He doesn't look like an accountant. He doesn't look like he, you know, he's going to go out and work for a top accounting firm or he's not a Harvard uh, 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 executive. He's a baseball guy, a smart baseball guy, a bilingual baseball guy, a guy that's done the grunt work, a guy who knows how to be detail-oriented, run a team, and, and you know, can he, it's going to be, it's going to come down to just the simple principles that I went back to just a few minutes ago. Can he connect with the players? Can he manage up? Can he manage down? Can he run a clean clubhouse? Can he connect with the media? Can he work with the media? Can he can he be the face and communicate well? And I don't mean just I don't mean anything about an accent. That does sometimes, unfortunately, play into some of the xenophobia that's out there. You know, I don't I haven't heard him speak enough to know how, how what kind of accent he has, but you know, can he can he present himself in a good way? And can he manage a bullpen? Because that is the on the fly. You could get the script given to you at 3 o'clock in the afternoon from the front office. But when it's 9.30 at night and it's the seventh inning and the base is loaded and your starter has a one-run lead and, and you got to figure out where, where, where to go, that's when you got to make your decision. Now, if you want to just do the plug-and-play with a Stratomatic simulation told them at uh, 2 o'clock, that's probably going to get you fired because you got to know your players. How Buck managed the bullpen in 2022 was brilliant. And remember... Buck survived a lot of the media fan. Not so. I mean, the fans were getting annoyed this year, but but the media never really bit from that because of who he was and his cachet, his Yankees background, and he's had success. Maybe not the ultimate success, but he's had success. Mendoza won't have that. Mendoza's like Louis Rojas. Mendoza's like Mickey Calloway. The minute things don't look good and they smell bad, I mean, you could see the headline Mendoza line. I mean, how many how many headlines like that, how many jokes like that are going to happen on X like within about 10 minutes of the season starting? You know that. We'll see. We'll see. And just because he's a Yankees coach, I mean, the Yankee cachet has worn off the last few years. I mean, I never thought I'd see at the GM meetings the, the media go after Cashman and Cashman hold court and, and go on a, a, a rant of that epic nature. It was great. It's great. Some of it I agreed with, some of it I didn't. But remember, that's what a Mendoza is dealing with. That's what David Stearns is dealing with. In a way, Stearns is getting the kid gloves because, look, that's the smartest guy in the room. That's the executive that, you know, everybody thinks the Mets should have hired. And think about it. If Council came here, he would have gotten near unanimous praise. But I think, you know, even Joel Sherman threw it out there in his piece. His relationship with the media and, and, and there's, I guess there's some prickliness that he exhibits with the scrum, might have been questioned. I mean, there's near effusive praise, except for the fact that maybe there's criticism of the Mets not closing the deal with Council, which I told you just in the beginning of this segment was not possible. I mean, everybody, everybody likes the Stearns hire. Everybody seems to like the Mendoza hire. The owner is starting to build the ballpark from 
a ballpark in the middle of junk into an experience. Metropolitan Park. Look at it. Looks like they have Hard Rock Cafe, casino, outdoor concerts, uh, outdoor spaces, you know, bike stuff. I mean, everything that a community like Queens needs. A destination to make the Mets and a new, even if it's not about baseball, people want to be around the baseball. That's what this team has lacked since 1962. Everything is now there. And Carlos Mendoza could be part of a really fun thing. And, and maybe in five years, he's the next Craig Council, or the next Jimmy Leland. Why can't he be David Johnson? Why can't he be Jimmy Leland? Why can't he be Dusty Baker? Why not? At some point, and I've been the biggest culprit when it came to this, at some point, you can't just buy other people's resume. Girardi was a nobody. Torrey was a, was a, a retread of retreads when he got hired by the Yankees in 96. Davey was a nobody. Jim Leland was a nobody taking a no-man's-land pirate team that was falling apart from the We Are Family years and became the, one of the top managers in the game and beat the Big Bad Mets not once, not twice, three consecutive seasons to win the NL East. Tito Francona was not celebrated when he took the Red Sox job in 04. He was a flame out in Philadelphia. Bruce Bochy, I mean, he was a nobody when the Padres hired him. I mean, to a certain degree, before he won titles with the, the Giants, he wasn't looked at as a Hall of Fame manager that he is now. He's got four titles now. So, you got to start somewhere. And I'm willing. And at this point, we need to lose. As Mets fans, as prognosticators, it, it, they're not getting a big-name manager. Not now. Maybe five, ten years from now, Mendoza is the manager and he needs to move on. Maybe whoever the hot commodity is in, you know, 2035, maybe then the Mets have won a couple of titles and the Cohen uh, ownership is established. The Mets are a bad destination for your career. Now, if you're a young uh, coach who needs a shot, why not? I mean, what? Mendoza is going to get another job, maybe not managing, but he'll get another job like Louis Rojas did on a staff. So he'll be in baseball. That's not the end. That wasn't what council wanted. You know, Craig Council doesn't want the Bobby V career path. Big-time managerial prospect, takes the job in Texas, flames out, has to go back to the AAA. He was managing AAA. Think about that. Would Craig Council do what Bobby V did, go back and, and, and manage the Norfolk Tides? Of course not. I mean, Bobby V went to Japan. Now, Bobby V is a different case. So for that profile, for that guy, that's who the Mets could get. Unless they really want to dig deep and get a retread. You know, does Girardi, if you want to manage, would that have been an option? Well, when you're when you really don't have and you're when you've had success and then you failed in Philadelphia like Girardi, in a way you're the same as Mendoza, except you have a resume at that point. That's who the Mets could get. That's the hard reality. That's because of bad ownership over the last couple of decades. That's because of bad luck. That's because of me and you. Because nobody feels they could get any time to breathe to make things right. They want results yesterday. And we're in a world where you really can't get that all the time. Even in the tournament era. Even in an era where a lot more a lot more can happen with a lot less when it comes to wins and losses and getting into the postseason. So I guess I would say this. New York's not for everybody. Um, accept it. Mendoza seems to have some good 
principles and mechanics of being a good manager. From what we've read, we have no idea. But you've got this bad history of managers that's hanging over the organization's head. He's got the Yankees connection, which did not go well for Willie Randolph. The media will be looking under the hood for every reason to go after him. You know that. And, uh, you know, you lost that protection that Buck provided. Now, I know what some are saying. Why didn't he just keep Buck? He didn't want Buck. He didn't want... He wanted his own guy. He had to inherit counsel, and it worked. And even if... He probably could have survived with Buck another year. And I always thought, you know, keep Buck, transition someone like Chavez into the job. They didn't want to do that. They want to start fresh. And we won't know how this works out until it either does or doesn't. We won't know for a while. Might not even know in the next 12 months. You know, you got to give the chance. They got to give the guy a chance. I'm looking forward to his press conference. I don't know if we're going to learn a hell of a lot at his press conference that we don't already know. It's going to be, like I always say, you can't really lose the press conference. Look, if Mendoza loses the press conference and red flags emerge, then we'll have an emergency show and talk about it. But I doubt that we're going to be there. I'd be shocked that we're there. But ultimately, here's the challenge for Mendoza. Can he take the good principles, the hard work, what he's learned, making his way up from a nothing player, uh, 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 organizational filler player, to a player development coach, minor league, uh, you know, uh, development guy, development uh, uh, member of the organization, to a respected bench coach at the at the right of Aaron Boone. Can he turn that into being a successful manager like a Jimmy Leland, like a Davey Johnson, like a Bruce Boche, like a Dusty Baker, like a Craig Council? We'll see. Nobody knows. And to sit here and you're going to go and hear other other podcasts, other radio shows, they're going to, oh, well, let me tell you why, you know, he's going to be successful. You don't know. No idea. Do you like it? Here's what I like. The Mets have a manager. We can move on and we can start to look at the roster because that's what's going to really make this happen. And we could like the things we're hearing about it. And ultimately, and I'll leave you with this, you can't applaud the hiring of David Stearns and then get mad when you have no idea how the process was was put together. He said he interviewed eight guys. He didn't just like get a call from counsel on Monday and say, oh, let me scramble and get some numbers. Oh, yeah, Mendoza, that's easy. I could just bring him across town. It's not how it happens. Maybe you think, maybe that's how you do your life and your business. It's not how the real world works. You know, the real world isn't playing out. Just because you didn't hear rumors about interviews doesn't mean they didn't do them. They don't want you to know. They don't want the media to know. Enough. It's not a fishbowl. It is a fishbowl, but they're trying to make it less of a fishbowl. So that's my my two cents on everything. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Part two. Jed Weisberger. Kind of retired now, but has worked for MLB.com. Worked for minor league baseball. Spent a number of days down in Trenton watching Yankees prospects. I mean, we, we, he and I would go watch the Thunder when they were the Yankees AA affiliate. We saw guys like David Robertson. I remember interviewing Austin Jackson when he was down there. We saw uh, B-Mets come through when Tim Tuffle was the manager and Wally Backman was the manager. I saw guys like Josh Tolle and Dylan G and Lucas Duda. I mean, on and on and on and on and on. I mean, so many, so many guys that at the time, even some of those like a Dylan G, like who is this guy throwing a shutout? Uh, against Trenton and uh, you know Dylan G turned out to be a decent back end of the rotation starter until he got hurt so brings back great memories love catching up with him but here's a guy that would sit down 
before the game or during the game and talk to a Stick Michael or Brian Cashman or another Yankees executive, Mark Newman, whatever, and 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 talk to scouts at the ballpark and watch the game and get a feel of different organizations and and how they're going about their business. And Carlos Mendoza was one of those guys uh, when he was uh, down in the Lakewood area managing the Mech, uh, the Yankees system. So let's hear what Jed has to say about Mendoza and what he thinks about Mendoza. You heard what Brian Hoke has to say. You heard what Brian Cashman has to say. You heard what Andy Martino has reported. All this positive stuff. Discipline, preparation, analytics, uh, bilingual. All the things that you'd want out of your next great or very good manager. It seems like he's got. So let's hear what someone uh, thinks that interact with him. You're listening to the Talking Bits podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.